Good morning, Hoosier Nation. My name is Aiden Kunst, and today I'm going to be joined by Zach Osterman of the Indy Star, and I'm very excited to get to this conversation with him as we preview the Michigan game this Saturday. Huge game for the Indiana Hoosiers. It's an exciting one, and it's one that I'm excited to break down with Zach from the Indy Star. As we know, he a, does a great job there. Excited to have him on in a few minutes, but first, want to take care of some housekeeping. want to remind you to give me a follow on Twitter at Aiden Kunst, uh, A-I-D-A-N-K-U-N-S-T, and then the podcast at Hoosier EXP Pod. Uh, those are all things that really help me. And then, you know, five-star reviews, subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy what you're hearing. I'm really been happy with the coverage of football season and then mixing in those, you know, recruiting interviews at, at the top of each week. At Terrace Reed on this week, a guy who's got an IU offer in the class of 2022. Really excited to continue to do those um, in this upcoming week. Again, I'm going to have a similar format to what I've been doing. So, you know, media member Zach on to cover the, the to preview the big game and then you know kind of an instant reaction podcast with with a buddy of mine to this week it's going to be mason williams um someone who i think you guys are going to like we're going to have an instant reaction pod up right after the michigan game might be a little later uh for the simple fact that it's just a loaded college football slate got you know florida georgia and then notre dame clemson after that so those are ones that you know i wouldn't wouldn't really want to miss but we may have it up saturday it may be a situation where it's Sunday morning. I don't really know exactly that. And then I'm, I'll have a recruit next uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. I haven't quite finalized that yet, but I'll, I'll have someone to come on the show. Yeah, really just excited with where the show is at right now. I appreciate your support. Uh, please continue to listen. Our growth has been great here. I've been really excited uh, recently with the growth. And, you know, enjoy the game this weekend enjoy everything about that and 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 please enjoy this interview with uh zach osterman previewing the game thanks three seconds two seconds for all the way outside the walk for three on the way oh and Welcome to another episode of the Hoosier Experience Podcast. My name is Aiden Kunst, and today I am joined by Zach Osterman of the Indy Star. He covers IU athletics for the Indy Star. Uh, Zach, how you doing? Uh, did you get some sleep last night? I know a lot of my friends uh, tried to do the all-nighter with the election night stuff. Yeah, no, I, I did not. Uh, I wasn't able to last. I think I fell asleep around one. Yeah, that was that was me too. I, I I just figured that maybe there wasn't much left coming in. So I went early. Uh, we've got a big game this Saturday in Bloomington, uh, but I wanted to just kind of get some of your, your final thoughts. Maybe if you had kind of a, a big takeaway from the Rutgers game last weekend that IU, IU won 37-21. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it is hard to draw, I guess, sweeping conclusions about games yet this season. We didn't have a non-conference. We had such a corrupted offseason in terms of the way the schedule was changed. I think the, you know, maybe the, the biggest, at least sort of straightforward um, takeaway was the degree to which Indiana was kind of just able to handle everything that came out of Penn State, the attention, um, the expectation, you know, the, the adulation, if you want to say, 
I thought you saw some sloppiness early. I, I, I don't think it was, I think it was undeniable that Indiana was, you know, lacked a little bit of focus early in that game, but the, the reality at the same time is, you know, by the end of the night for all the craziness, the onside kick, that weird lateral play, et cetera, Indiana's two very avoidable roughing the passer calls away from winning by 30 points, you know, on the road um, against a big 10 opponent that had just won at Michigan state the weekend before. So, you know, I think it was, you don't point to it and say, Oh, here's confirming evidence that Indiana is the second best team in the big 10 or anything like that. But I thought it was a very good day. Um, you know, given the circumstances, given the backdrop, given the lead into it. And uh, obviously, you know, it, it, Indiana also kind of comes out of it feeling good about the momentum it has going into Michigan. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they took care of business and that's really all you can ask for, especially coming off of such a big win the week prior. Uh, as we turn our focus now to the Michigan game, uh, IU comes into this game ranked 13th in the AP poll versus 23rd uh, Michigan's Michigan's the lower ranked team after that loss to Michigan state. What are your kind of early impressions of this Michigan team? Because I think we may have overreacted week one when they, when they drubbed Minnesota and, and maybe that's because this Minnesota defense looks to be, you know, really bad uh, all time, bad kind of thing where, where, you know, we got excited because Michigan, you know, put up 49 points on that team and, and then Maryland almost did the same thing the next week. So, you know, what are your kind of impressions of Michigan, obviously coming off of a loss against Michigan State in which they were heavy favorites? You know, what do you kind of think about this team just just from the start here? Yeah, I mean, they are one of the bigger mysteries of the league. I mean, you know, you can watch Joe Milton um, on one drive and, and feel like he's got the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks, uh, you know, in the Big Ten. You can watch him on another drive and feel like the offense is really stunted. Um, I don't think anybody would, you know, necessarily deny that uh, that Michigan has probably got more raw talent than Indiana. But I think that gap is probably closer now than it's been in a while. And obviously Michigan had a couple opt-outs. I think Nico Collins is a big miss. He really hurt Indiana last year in the way that Michigan was able to use him in the vertical passing game in particular. Um, but, you know, you, you look at Michigan's secondary, I think, has some issues, which, you know, it, it is a, a potential plus for Indiana, but then you sort of look at, in, you know, the defensive line, offensive line matchup, and you think, well, you know, can, is Mike Penix, Michael Penix going to have enough time to get the, get his feet set, make his reads, get the ball out? Um, you know, it, it, there are a lot of matchups in this game, again, because in part of, of that uncertainty, I think you, you mentioned there for the two sort of contrasting Michigan results, there are a lot of matchups in this game that I think it's just really hard to predict, you know, Joe Milton versus IU secondary, Mike Penix versus Michigan secondary. Can anybody run the ball? How does IU's offensive line, which hasn't been great through the first two games of this season kind of hold up against, um, what I think is still a very good defensive front for Michigan. And, and it's also worth saying, you know, under Don Brown, Michigan's defensive coordinator, the Wolverines have always been solid up front, even, even if maybe the guys there aren't all the future NFL level talents. Brown has always found a way to be very good at the line of scrimmage defensively since he's been at Michigan. And so it's, again, I think on paper, Indiana and Michigan are more closely matched than, um, 
than, than they've been in a while. But um, I also don't think that this is a, necessarily a game. You know, I, I think there are some Indiana fans that may fall a little bit into a trap of saying, ah, you know, this is the perfect time. To, and then maybe it is. But Michigan is still a talented team. Joe Milton's still a very good quarterback. And, and I think this is going to be a very difficult game for Michigan. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think this is a team. You bring up the, the line of scrimmage. And, and when I look at it, I'm, I'm worried about that Michigan D line versus this offensive line that, again, really didn't perform that well, at least early on in that Rutgers game. Uh, Mike Penix was still under pressure. It wasn't the level of talent as Penn State, but now we have a team that has the level of talent, specifically Quiddy Pay, who has 16 pressures and eight QB hurries uh, per Jordan Reed on Twitter. That's pretty good for, for two games, and, and that's really concerning if you're, if you're an IU team that hasn't gotten great results from the offensive line and hasn't really been able to keep Penix upright. You know, we remember Shaka Tony from week one, and this is a guy who's produced you know on a per game basis even more than tony you know how much are you worried about pay and and do you think kind of whether or not iu can actually hold up will will be the difference in this game well yeah i I think put put it this way i think the way i'd say it again recognizing the small sample size we have for everybody is that uh that that indiana you know if you're looking for the area where michigan has the most obvious advantage on paper going into this game it's defensive line, offensive line. Um, and, and I don't, you know, that doesn't mean that it's not going to wind up being something else, um, you know, that this, this decides this game or defines this game. But I, it does feel to me anyway, like, you know, kind of the, the biggest advantage Michigan has going into this is defensive line. And again, I mean, I think Quiddy Pay is a really, really good player. I also just think this is, um, this is very much a, again, as I said, a hallmark of Don Brown defenses. You know, it's just, it, it feels like Michigan every year is just very stout, very solid on the defensive line. There are years where they're better than others, um, but they're always just very solid. And, you know, it's it's rarely a weakness. Now, I know that there's still some question marks about the Michigan defense. You know, you, you, you look at last week, um, particularly the way Michigan State was able to throw the ball against them. Um, you know, you, you, yes, part of that is, is a secondary, but part of that is also potentially, you know, for as good as we think this defensive line might be not being able to really control the line of scrimmage and, and tamp down the, uh, the Michigan state passing attack. But, you know, all that said, I still think that's probably the area where Michigan to me going into this game has the most advantage. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and if we just stay with, kind of the win Indiana has the ball part of the game uh, where I think Indiana has a big advantage. And you, you brought this up earlier is, is this receiver slash weapon group. Um, and, and obviously with Penix dealing the ball against a, a Michigan secondary that has been, you know, liable to, to some big plays. Rocky Lombardi hit, hit a few of those big plays. And I think most people would, would agree with me when I say that I think Mike Penix is a, is a better quarterback than Lombardi and, and IU probably, although they maybe don't have a Ricky White, we'll see what he becomes. He lit up this Michigan secondary last week for Michigan State, uh, but Fillier, uh, Freifogel, Hendershot, who all, you know, showed up last week against Rutgers. You know, this to me looks like the, poor, the, the part of the game where IU needs to exploit Michigan 
and I think they will be able to run the ball a little bit, like you said, on this D-line. But if they can keep Penix upright and and if they can hit a few big plays, I I think they can score some points on this Michigan D. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. I think um, again, if you look at the the way that Michigan State was able to attack Michigan through the air last week, um, I, I I don't disagree with you. I think I think Indiana's got a better quarterback. I think Indiana's got better running backs. I think Indiana's got better tight ends and better wide receivers than Michigan State. That doesn't necessarily mean that you know you can just take what Michigan State did offensively and just overlay it onto your game plan if you're Indiana. But I think there's a lot in that game that ought to be instructive, um, you know, to the Hoosiers and and the way that they use Michael Penix. I think you know we we might be getting in the you know the the days in the weeks to come. I should say, I suspect we are. Um, at least the way things are trending, I have a hunch that we're not going to see Indiana running the ball a whole lot. Um, You know, I think, I think, I know Tom Allen has talked in the past about wanting to run the ball better. He mentioned a lot last off season, but you know, he's finished his, his offenses have been largely the same for his first three years in Bloomington and they finished 12th, seventh and 12th in the big 10 in rushing yards per game. And if you look, at what his, um, you know, sort of his inspiration is for what he has in mind offensively, which is very much, in, in my opinion, anyway, Hugh Freeze's offense at Ole Miss. Freeze didn't, you know, he ran the ball, but that wasn't his focus. His focus was the passing game. You know, those Ole Miss teams at, at their peak were beating teams through the air and with good quarterback play, you know, Bo Wallace, Chad Kelly, and then obviously just that, that, slew of receivers they had from Treadwell to core to Moncrief and, and others. Um, so, you know, I think it, it's, if you can keep Michael Penix upright, then I think you've got a good chance to exploit some of the holes or some of the weaknesses in that secondary. Um, we've already seen, as you said, Michigan state do it. And, and also just more broadly, I just, I also think Indiana is just a good passing team. I don't think it's just about Michigan. I think it's also about, you know, it, it felt like there was a noticeable improvement from Penn state to Rutgers, not just in final stats, but if you watch, you know, uh, Michael Penix misses seven of his first 10 throws, at least five of those seven incompletions can be classified as drops. They're good throws. They're yep. on time. They're in rhythm to players open in space and the route concepts are working. It just isn't, you know, he's didn't complete the pass, but the point is that the structure of the offense looks like it's starting to kind of find some, some comfort for Penix and, and Nick Sheridan. And so I think, um, I think that that's an area where, you know, Indiana has got to be thinking, with or without the run, we should be able to get something going in the air against Michigan. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think they really it did really look like they turned a corner against Rutgers in the passing game. Like you said, I want to ask you just kind of a general question. And I wonder, I've heard this take from a few people, and I don't really know if I if I agree with it, but you know, you hear the thing about well, Michigan lost and you know, they, they got Wisconsin next week. They're not going to, they're not going to lose again. Like the, the, this is just too talented of a team to, to lose two weeks in a row. You know, this sort of theory that, that some people subscribe to that, you know, if, it, if you lose the previous week, then that's bad. If you're rooting for Indiana, if, because Michigan lost last week, they're going to bring it this week. Uh, you know, what do you kind of think about that? Because 
think that gets thrown out there a lot. And I don't necessarily know if I agree with that, particularly with no fans where it's just kind of team on team. If you're the better team, I, I kind of feel like you're just going to win the game. I don't, I don't know how much that factors into it. What's your kind of take on, on that kind of theory? I think that's fair. I, I also think you kind of have to park that sort of stuff when there are no fans in the stands. Yeah. There's, you know, there's, um, uh, you know, I think we've seen this in a lot of different sports, but, you know, there is a, there's a narrative. It's maybe not quite the right word, but there's, there's almost a, a course that a game is sort of set upon and you can feel it. You know, if you're in the stadium, whether you're the press box, you know, the sideline the stands, you can just sort of feel how the game feels, not just through what's happening on the field, but the emotion of the crowd and the way that the crowd kind of comes in and out of the game, you know, where it's, it feels it's queued up, where it feels it's sort of, you know, quieted down. And when you, you lose that emotion, I think you get something that, that, you know, more directly resembles basically just the kind of a preseason scrimmage mm -hmm. at times. And it's not to say, I mean, listen, we've seen some really good football games, um, you know, in the big 10. I mean, think about that, that Indiana Michigan state game was, uh, I, we will remember that I do believe in it. And I'm not, listen, I'm, I don't cheer for Indiana. I'm, I'm dispassionate about all this, but right. I look at that game and I figure it'll, it'll be one that the big 10 network is showing 10 years from now is, you know, right. calling the classic. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you, you, you do have to kind of remove some of those more intangible assertions about, well, this is going to happen. You know, this is going to happen. And then I even also come back to last year when, um, you know, right in the middle of Indiana's winning streak, uh, you know, they won four in a row, Maryland, Rutgers, Nebraska, Northwestern, Michigan wasn't playing very well. And I think a lot of people sort of put a pin in that Michigan game at the end of last season and said, well, you know, they don't look like vintage Michigan. They got a lot of offensive problems. Um, you know, it's right between Michigan State and Ohio State. That's an obvious upset win for Indiana. And then people were, you know, they kind of upset when <laughs> came in and, and, you know, quite frankly, dominated the game. They won 39-14. And uh, but what what you you know what what a lot of people in my position tried to sort of say coming into that game was actually this team's figured something out in the last couple of weeks they're playing a lot better it's not the same team that you were looking at in mid-october and thinking oh you know we're going to beat them so i think it's it's in this season more than any other i just don't think both because we don't have the body of evidence and you know for at least the first half of the season probably won't have the body of evidence to to really make you know broad sort of sweeping conclusions about teams and also because the the evidence of or excuse me the emotion of games and the way that that kind of helps govern outcomes just is not is not there in the way that it would be in a normal season so I, I just don't think you can I mean at one level is Michigan going to spend a whole week pissed off about losing to its rival yes of course absolutely but at another level, I just don't think you can count on these these truisms that aren't always true anyway to, you know, to kind of pop up. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, let's kind of talk about when I guess Michigan has the ball, right? Um, I feel very confident given I use personnel in the secondary and Michigan's personnel at receiver and tight end and, and I read your you know your film room on this secondary and what they've been able to do so far and, and it's just very impressive 
it's a deep group. Um, it's a group that's really talented. And, and when you look at Michigan after the loss of Nico Collins, it's not, uh, it, it's not anything to write home about. And I think maybe that this matchup in terms of, you know, when Michigan's throwing the ball, that this matchup maybe comes down to which Joe Milton shows up, the one we saw week one or the one we saw week two, who was sailing throws and, and putting too much power on it. Uh, as we know, he has a, a huge arm. What do you kind of think about about that matchup? And, and do you think IU has the upper hand there? Because certainly from from what's been put on tape, I, I personally do. Well, I, I certainly think at very least this is going to be the most difficult, um, the, the toughest secondary that Joe Milton has seen. And I think uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, Michigan's passing game. I think Urban Meyer said on the Fox show last week that he hasn't seen them complete a vertical pass yet this season. It's all just been over the middle stuff into tight windows that Michigan thinks, you know, uh, Joe Milton can fit balls into. It's also, again, kind of hard to know because Michigan's got one receiver, Ronnie Bell, um, who's a junior and, and, you know, came into this season with, I want to say about 900 career yards and Mm -hmm. including uh, I think about 750 to 800 last year. Um, just about everybody else is like a first is either a freshman or a, a very, um, is a, a, you know, a very, very young, let's say sophomore, redshirt sophomore, whatever. There's a lot of talent in that receiver core. And there's a number of guys that were actually really kind of noted for their speed in high school. And I think that's one reason why people are surprised Michigan hasn't opened it up down the field a little bit more. And on the one hand, you know, if you want to be sort of a skeptical or a cynical IU football fan, and trust me, I know plenty of them and I understand why they are the way they are, but um, you can say, well, you know, does that mean that they've got this, this weapon in their arsenal they haven't unloaded, you know, kind of unleashed yet? On the other hand, you know, you look at it and you say, this is a secondary that's played a huge part in this defense, producing six turnovers and five sacks in the, in the first two weeks of the season is this really the team that Michigan wants to just start firing the ball deep on? Um, Now, in terms of raw tools, um, I think Joe Milton is head and shoulders, the best quarterback Indiana has seen so far this season. Um, I I don't, you know, I, I I don't hate Sean Clifford, but I don't love him either. And obviously Noah Vedral is is limited in some ways. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that Milton is going to have the kind of game Saturday that we saw, for example, Shea Patterson have last weekend. I think that, you know, the, the other, maybe the most advantageous to kind of come back to matchups, Indiana matchup in this is secondary against Michigan's passing attack, which I think can beat Indiana, but is, is still very much a, um, is still very much a, a kind of question mark at this point. And certainly they don't have anyone, you know, at the level of, of a Pat Fryermuth or even a Jahan Dotson who made some ridiculous catches this week against Iowa State, obviously had the deep bomb on, on what was really a coverage bust for IU in week one. You know, conversely, I guess, you know, on the other side of the, the coin, I think Michigan can be pretty successful running the ball on IU. And, and you know, they have a, a, a nice group of running backs with – Zach Charbonnet and Hassan Haskins, Chris Evans, all in there. And, and then Ben Mason, who, who's been pretty effective at fullback, actually, for them against uh, Indiana Rundy that has performed well, but 
but talent wise, I don't think is quite at the level of the current secondary. So what do you think there? Because, you know, I think that's a matchup that Michigan can certainly take advantage of and, and maybe they just gash Indian on the ground. I mean, I mean, that's the type of talent that, that I think these backs have for, for the Wolverines. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, you bring up gash, you look at, and it's, you know, Michigan's not been a slouch, slouch of a team on the ground. Um, They've rushed for 446 yards through just two games. Right. They're averaging more than six yards a carry, and you've got your top three guys there. Hassan Haskins averaging almost 10 yards a carry. Joe Milton, obviously the quarterback, averaging five and a half yards a carry. Zach Charbonnet averaging more than nine yards or eight yards a carry. Um, You know, the the one thing that Indiana's defensive line in particular has been really good limiting over the last, you know, basically season plus – has been explosive run plays. And I think that if you kind of look back at, at the the markers, you know, we're, we're in election season here and we're talking about cross tabs and marker indications. If you want to look back and, and kind of chart areas where, you know, kind of areas that maybe aren't necessarily, you know, straight up mainstream, um, but are areas where you can actually kind of chart Indiana's improvement um as a defense and, and how indiana has gotten better um one of them is the degree to which indiana has started to limit big rushing plays you know 2017 um, indiana allowed uh 59 rushing plays of 10 yards or more and 16 of 20 yards or more in 2018 which was a, about a bit of a step back really for a defense a lot of you know, uh, kind of a wave of guys graduated and to be replaced by young players. Those numbers pretty much stayed steady, 67, 10 yards, 10 rushing plays of 10 yards or more allowed, 15 of 20. Last year, Indiana tightened that up consistently. They still allowed 15, 20 plus yard rushes, but they only allowed 45 rushes of 10 plus yards. That was fourth best in the Big Ten behind only Michigan, Iowa, and Northwestern. And that was a really big piece of the way that Indiana, after kind of a couple of years of growing pains because they lost a couple waves of really talented players between the end of Kevin Wilson's tenure and the first year of Tom Allen's, that was one of the ways that is, is this defense in its current visage kind of grew up, was limiting those, those big run plays, controlling the line of scrimmage a little bit better, holding things up, not allowing big seams to form at the snap which meant that running backs didn't have a huge hole to hit. And so they had to start dancing, maybe stretch things to the outside, give your defense time, give your safeties, your linebackers, the time to use their speed to close that down. And that put Indiana in a lot more favorable second and third down situations last year, which of course made them a better defense. Mm -hmm. We've seen, you know, a little bit of that here so far. Um, You know, Indiana's, I think ninth in the league, if you don't count the two teams that have only played one game, having allowed 11 rushing plays of 10 plus yards, but overall, in terms of overall explosives, uh, Indiana's fourth, either fourth or fifth in the conference in 10 plus yard plays allowed, and I think second in the conference in 20 plus. And so you're just talking about a defense that has continued, at least so far, the good work of last year in limiting those explosive plays. And I think that that's where you look at that matchup and you say Michigan has had some real success, you know, uh, busting big runs, certainly, you know, um, I think like, like, for example, 
Um, Hassan Haskins has a, his long as 66 yards this year. I'm just sitting here looking at the numbers as we talk. Right. Um, but even if, even if you remove that, he's got 14 carries for 140 yards this season. Even if you remove that 66 yarder, he's still averaging 5.7 yards a carry. So it's not just the, the home runs. It's the, it's the big chunks on the ground that Michigan's getting and that Indiana is really going to have to limit. And that I think this weekend will be a, a test, a real test for um, this defense. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And, and the final matchup that maybe isn't getting enough uh, coverage, I, I guess, is, is the kickers, uh, you know, for Michigan. One for four with two guys, Jake Moody and Quinn Norton, on field goals this season. Um, multiple missed field goals, you know, in the 30 to 39-yard range. Uh, they haven't even attempted a 50-plus, so, so that isn't really skewed. And then for Indiana, Charles Campbell, who we know is five for five, um, you know, you got to have a little, a little confidence in that matchup if, if you're Indiana, especially being at home, don't you? No, I think, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely right on that. Um, I think, I mean, listen, this is, you know, you'll find debate among college coaches. Should you offer kickers? Um, you know, should you, should you offer punters? Mm-hmm. Kevin, Kevin Wilson did not, you know, Kevin, all nearly all of Kevin Wilson's players, um, were, um, or excuse me, all, all of his uh, kickers and punters were walk-ons other than the ones he inherited. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, Tom Allen from day one was like, we're going to, we're going to sign kickers. We're going to sign punters. We're going to be a team that looks for that quality. And, you know, I mean, Charles Campbell is, is kind of an example of that. Now, you know, listen, we're also talking, when you talk about a guy like Quinn Norton, for example, um, He's an all big 10 honoree. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very good last year. I think he was, I don't remember exactly what it was. Forgive me. I don't have the big 10 kicking statistics <laughs> memorized, really? you but don't you don't know, have those on, on the top of your head. Right. But you know, he's, he's perfectly sound, uh, but I think it's, it also just kind of comes down to a, a more, it comes down to a sort of more basic element of coaching as it pertains in particular to special teams, which is, you know, special teams very often, is much, especially in the modern game, where punters and kickers have gotten so sophisticated about placing the ball, and you don't have, you know, nearly as much opportunity for punt and kick returns that turn into touchdowns or really big plays. Right. Um, special teams is is like the often the best thing you can say about a special teams unit is it just it wasn't a headache, it wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. And when you're getting ready for a game, you're not going into it thinking, oh, we've got a punt returner who, you know, who's dropped two of his last five you know, kicks and, um, you know, we can't get out past the 20 on kick return and we've allowed two kickoff kickoffs return, you know, over the 50 this year. And our, our kicker is, you know, dot, you just, you want a special teams unit that if nothing else is, is not a concern for you going into a game as you put your, your play, your game plan together, there's not a nagging doubt in the back of your mind that says, well, you know, is, is there a hole on special teams here that's really going to hurt us? And I think Charles Campbell's exemplar it sort of exemplifies this, but really Indiana's special teams, broadly speaking, been that way this year. I know Rutgers had a long kick return. I know they also recovered the onside kick. I think everybody maybe panicked a little bit about the onside kick after the Tennessee game, after the bowl game, but the reality is that onside kick really did not change the likely outcome of that game very much. 
Um, and on the flip side, Indiana's covered kicks and punts very well. It's been perfectly sound in the punt return game. And as you say, Charles Campbell's been very, very good kicking field goals. It's just if you're going to beat a team like Michigan and you're going to win a game like this, you need sound special teams. And maybe you need them to, you know, make one or two really big plays for you, a clutch field goal or a big punt return that flips field position. Sure. But the first thing you need out of your special teams is just to not be a liability. And I think that, that, you know, Charles Campbell, as I said, is kind of illustrative of that, but he's not alone in that for Indiana. Mm-hmm. And that's a great point. You know, Indiana winning this game means blank for, for the program as a whole. You know, I, it's, it's kind of a weird year. It's, it's a year where I, I suspect um, most, <laughs> it's a year where I suspect that most teams that struggle will kind of try to wave it off and just yes. say, well, you know, yeah. so much outside of our control, disappointing, but we'll come back next year. Everybody gets the, the, the free year of eligibility. So other than the NFL guys, I'll we'll be back next year. But I think Indiana's already seen that for the teams that have some success this year, it, it, it's not cheapened in anyone's eyes. No one's looking at it and saying, well, you only beat Penn state because of COVID-19. Um, I wrote something earlier yesterday and today that'll, come out we're talking on the Wednesday of the week of game week that'll come out later this week and maybe even this afternoon I'm not sure um just about the history of of the IU Michigan rivalry and the degree to which it's always what rivalry is a strong term obviously um matchup series let's say right right and um one of the things that's that's always struck me about Michigan is much more so than Ohio State or Penn State and with respect to Michigan State obviously has been very good in recent years, but is not necessarily a historical powerhouse in the Big Ten. It's, it's been the series with Michigan that has been the most sort of illustrative of Indiana's glass ceiling and has provided Indiana maybe the most just sort of like bizarre, crippling heartbreaks Right. You know, I, I mean, obviously, Indiana has lost close games to all three teams down the years. Um, but, you know, there was the, the I think I bring I brought up a few examples in the story. There was a 79 game where Indiana had, of course, that's the year Indiana wins the Holiday Bowl. Indiana had Michigan beat in Ann Arbor. Um, a Michigan player was getting tackled inbounds, realized he was about to get tackled inbounds and the clock was going to run out. He threw the ball out of bounds. Mm an intentional fumble that actually went straight into Lee Corso's arms and the referees somehow conspired to put six seconds back on the clock, even though the game should have been over. Oh, wow. And uh, John Wangler hit uh, Anthony Carter for a, a game winning touchdown pass. That's still among sort of the more like legendary, you know, Michigan, Indiana moments, if mm-hmm. you want to say, or, or Michigan, or just Michigan football moments, period. Yeah. Um, you know, there was the Bill Lynch gun gum game in 2009. We've seen a couple of overtime losses in, in recent years. There's been something about Indiana, Michigan in particular, that Michigan has been somehow a little bit more attainable than, let's say, Ohio State. And yet the ways in which Indiana's conspired to lose to Michigan have been more memorable. And I suspect for IU fans, more painful. And so I think it's... Um, I think it's it's winning this game. You know, Michigan, if Indiana wins this game, Michigan will fall to one and two. They won't be ranked the week after. It's not like this game will somehow 
thrust Indiana into the playoff conversation or anything like that. But I think winning this game and in particular stacking it on top of the, the Penn state game will, will take Indiana. We'll, we'll, we'll just have a significance to Indiana that will feel like the albatross is being thrown off the shoulders a little bit. Um, maybe in a way that even Penn state wouldn't quite have just because Michigan, I mean, Indiana has beaten Michigan twice since 1967, including 1967. Yeah. Um, and you just, you know, without, without wanting to sort of dive into hyperbole, you know, winning this game, I think would be, you know, other than like pulling off a shock upset of top three, Ohio state and Columbus winning this game would be the biggest victory Indiana could imagine out of this regular season. Yeah. And that's a great point. I mean, it's so interesting, all the history and all the everything that goes into to a game like this and, and the fact that it just means so much more for a team like Indiana than it would for, for someone like Michigan. Um, Zach, finally, uh, give me a score prediction and then, you know, tell everyone where, where we can find your work. Yeah, I think, um, to be honest with you, I think – we'd still shade toward Michigan. You know, I'd be right about where the, the bookies are, which is I think somewhere between um, two and three and a half points. Yep. I, but when you say that, what you're essentially saying is it's a field goal. Yep. You know, if this is, and if, if you, if you, if you, if you sort of say, I agree with Vegas that Michigan's a three and a half point favorite, then what you're effectively saying is, if somebody wins by a touchdown in this game, it's a toss up. Yep. And I think that's probably fair. And uh, I lean toward Michigan on their experience. I lean toward Michigan on their talent. I lean toward Michigan simply because that's what history tells us to do. But I don't think Indiana has been closer to Michigan in a pure sort of matchups one-to-one standpoint in a really, really long time. Yeah. And so if Indiana wins this game, I won't be surprised. I've said a few times this week that the biggest surprise I'll have is, is if this is a blowout, you know, that's, that's probably the biggest. For either side. Right. Like if, if either side runs away with this, um, I would be really surprised because I think it's, I think if nothing else, it's a game where there are enough sort of chess match type matchups across the board that are going to keep both coaches engaged, both teams kind of engaged deep into the game. And if somebody, you know, if somebody throws an extra 10 points on in garbage time, fair enough. But I, I, I do think it's, it's pretty close to a coin flip. Yeah. And then, yeah, let us know where, where we can check out your work and ahead of the game and in an all season after that. And I think into basketball season as well. Yeah. Um, indiestar.com slash sports or my Twitter is just my name at Zach Osterman. So um, appreciate anybody who follows along. Yeah, sounds good, man. I appreciate having you on, and I'm really excited for this game. We will see what happens. Thanks.